Hey everyone, welcome back. It's the end of 2023. We've had a great year. Uh, I've really enjoyed starting this podcast with with the guys. Um, and we're going to end the year awesome. It is December 13th. So uh, as my daughter says, it's Taylor Swift's birthday. So there you go. A little trivia. So to my daughter and all the Swifties out there, it's like a holy day. Uh, so, but, uh, but no, so it's the last episode. This will come out around Christmas, maybe right after Christmas. And we wanted to talk about how software gets develop like all the different ways that help us create software Mm -hmm. not really the coding not really the ides we may touch on those but really what are what are those things that we use on a daily basis in terms of individual uh development and team development so the one big thing that came out this year, uh, and I don't think anyone has not been impacted by all the new AI tools and the AI uh, kind of jargon, because I think half of it's jargon. Uh, but um, who wants to kick off and talk about like how AI has impacted your job and your uh, career? You know, I think since Martin is technically half robot, I think he should go first. Because yeah. he, he probably relates the most to this new AI trend, I think. Uh, beep, beep, boop, beep, beep. <laughs> I'll just do the entire podcast like that. <laughs> no, I, I think um, many of us have been dabbling with AI this year. I think some of us will have adopted AI this year. I know that I'm one of the dabblers still. I, I see value, but I also see a lot of things where... Um, humans and deterministic software can do better. But it's cool seeing that uh, AI assistants are popping up everywhere, uh, forgetting all of the impact on environment and everything uh, around those things and training data and, and all of that. Uh, I do think there's value in exploring what is going on with AI assistants. Um, and I know that a lot of people who are using Copilot or the new JetBrains AI assistant or any of the other ones, um, are really into code generation with the AI. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think AI is definitely a good help there to do some boilerplate or maybe give suggestions and maybe have a kind of a sparing partner on when you are developing uh, your codes. But I do think, and I have actually seen in the JetBrains AI Assistant and Copilot, for example, that there's a lot of uh, interesting things there that are happening that go beyond just code generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, one, one of the things that I saw there is, for example, generating a commit message or even making a summary of like the last five commits into the repository, like what happened, who did something and so on. And you actually get a really nice, uh, really nice summary of all of the changes that have gone out. And it works surprisingly well. So I'm, I'm really amazed by that. And that is super helpful. Like if you come back from vacation or whatever, to see what the team has been up to. So I'm wondering if you guys have seen anything that uh, is interesting and maybe goes beyond just the code generation that we are starting to see based on AI assistance. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess interesting. I I do think I do think like code reviews are super helpful from AI assistants. Like just look over and potentially find issues that you may have missed. Because let's face it, like the hard bugs are hard for a reason, but we also all make a lot of silly mistakes every once in a while. So in terms of training data and seeing that out in a large set of code bases, you're likely to see some of these common mistakes pop up over and over again. Um, that, that said, is a large language model the right tool to kind of surface these problems? Because again, like full disclosure, Martin and I work at JetBrains and we have deterministic tools and analyzers that can find these things without needing to like call a service. It all kind of happens locally. So yeah, I mean, like, I think that could be helpful. Um, but I think I'm a dabbler too, Martin. Um, right now it's like, there are some values, but I think a lot of my mus muscle memory is still go to Google, type a bunch of fragmented keywords, find a human solution, and then like adapt it back into my code base. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people are saying like AI assistants are like the beginning of the end for sites like Stack Overflow because it kind of cuts out that additional step of like needing to open the browser and crafting a search. But I don't know, I, I maybe I think People are getting a little ahead of themselves. Uh, I still like human answers. Yeah, but that's just me. Yeah, I do too. And I'm, I'm like you guys. I am a dabbler, and I kind of use these AI assistants in in a paired programming type of logic. So mm -hmm. I don't ever take any suggestions that any of the AI assistants give me, mm -hmm. I look at them and I view them kind of like I would do if I was paired programming with someone. I mean, they're looking at my code. I'm going to look at their code. We're going to find some happy medium and, and get to a solution. But I also like going back to, like blogs and looking at blogs because mm -hmm. it gives me context. See, that's what I, I really like context with the code. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like reading books and reading uh, technical documentation and stuff, because, you know, if you just put up some code, sometimes it doesn't really explain why. So it's nice to have that context and and the reason why someone did something mm -hmm. uh, a certain way. Yeah, it's funny you say why, because Martin and I had this conversation, I think like months ago. Um, there is a feature in AI Assistant, uh, specifically in JetBrains AI Assistant, where it can kind of summarize your work and write a commit message. And I think it's really good at telling you what is happening, but it obviously doesn't know why you wrote this code, right? So the context sometimes yeah. gets lost in code generation. And um, yeah, like they're, the human element, I think you kind of hit it, is like still really, really important. And I think that's why a lot of these things are called 
co-pilot and assistant become secondary to you, the developer. It's empowering you, but it's not replacing you. Right? Yeah. And I, and I still think we haven't really leveraged a few things that Microsoft has brought out in .NET and C Sharp, like source generators. Like, we should probably leverage that a little bit more than than the AI. So I don't really want to get lazy. So I think also AI may allow for a more lazy developer and you have to stay disciplined because that code that you're getting from, from the AI, I mean, just like anything coming out of a LLM, it's just guesses. It's, it's predictable it's trying to predict what you want mm -hmm. and sometimes it doesn't predict well and you get really funky uh suggestions so don't ever yeah. take like anything for for face value that that is an interesting observation because if i look back at when uh tools like jabbering three sharper came about or when code rush came about or microsoft started to ship roslin analyzers and so on I know a lot of people also got upset and were saying, look, I'm, I'm, I don't want to become a lazy developer, just like you said, uh, with AI. And we've all come to accept that there are analyzers in our codes looking at what we are doing, giving suggestions and so on. And they are deterministic, but we kind of have grown as a community to like the value that those things bring us and, and can actually improve our code. So. I'm curious to see if the same thing is going to happen with AI, where we're now saying, I don't need this magic, um, but maybe five years from now, we're all um, bought into it and bought into the idea of having this assistance in everything we do. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I was telling someone the other day, like, I remember when syntax highlighting was new to programming and people are like, this is going to make people super lazy. There's all these colors. So yeah, there, I think there is constantly that swing of like, oh, I don't need this. I've been programming for X amount of years and I've never needed this. And, you know, it's like, it's a quality of life improvement and whether you use it or not, it's really dependent on you, right? Like there's, there's a bunch of people who still like Emacs and Vim and stuff out there. That's fine. Those tools are great. It's, but... it's because they can't quit. <laughs> but uh yeah i i do wonder what it's going to be like to to your point chris like uh in terms of hallucinations or potentially like bad result sets um you can kind of go look at the chat gpt announcements and stuff like that uh when we're dealing with training data and the training data that uh you know companies like OpenAI or amazon uh, or Google with their Gemini stuff, um, there's always a cutoff date for the training data. And to gather that up much information, especially all of human knowledge, to gather it into a data set that you can train a model with, there always has to be a cutoff date. Uh, I think with ChatGPT3, it's like 2020 or uh, something like that. With ChatGPT4, it might be 2022. Yeah. But you know, with .NET 8 just releasing and C Sharp 12 features, um, there's still a, there's still a knowledge gap between what the AI assistant can tell you and what you probably know. Yeah. Um, 
that's yeah. just a, that's just a fact oh. of the technology now. So I'll give. Although I think it's. Oh, go yeah, ahead, sorry. Martin. I, I do think that's a really interesting one because uh, none of the models will be able to answer like how do I use primary constructors in C sharp twelve um, and, and those things, mm -hmm. but most models currently do support uh, things like embeddings or calling into external APIs and so on, and. I think it's just a matter of time before uh, the, the models that are integrated in the variety of tools that we all use uh, are being are, are going to be calling into whatever is in the IDE already. Yeah. So if, for example, you say, okay, write me this class and the IDE says, okay, this code base is C-sharp 12, maybe the IDE could take the response that comes back from the model and is using, let's say, C-sharp 10 and convert the style of the code into the latest and greatest, and you won't even notice that that cutoff is there for that particular scenario. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I will say that uh, I'll give a plug for ReSharper and Rider right now. It did suggest, uh, the analyzers did suggest primary constructors. I opened up Last week, I opened up a web API project and and got some hints and said, you should use a primary constructor here. Mm -hmm. And yeah, lo and behold, it it worked and it I love primary constructors. And but I was going to say one thing. So uh, not writing code, but just writing. I'm awful with grammar. Mm -hmm. And so I use Grammarly. I'll pay the $50 a quarter or whatever it is because it helps me write better. Mm -hmm. Now, now is that AI? Yeah, it's, it's, it's AI because it's, it's giving me suggestions, but it's weird. Like if I take a look, I don't make as many mistakes as I used to. So it's actually training, we train the AI, but it also trains us in some ways to uh, write better, write better code, write better uh, just blog posts and whatever we're, we're just writing. So remember that, that uh, all these suggestions that you get are probably gonna make you a better developer in in most ways yeah F funny anecdote uh, i also use grammarly and uh it still cannot deal with net and uh it drives me mad <laughs> so no. there's no exception even if you say net is a word yeah it still comes back and look, sees that period and it's like why did why are you ending the sentence at the yeah. beginning of the sentence yeah it drives me nuts so uh drop the dot so is, yeah. is is this where we do a call out for uh for drop the dots yeah 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 drop the dot <laughs> <laughs> uh, so not, uh, not sure if everyone who is listening knows about this but uh Khalid had this uh this meme half serious half not serious uh approach of dropping the dot in net so removing the the points that is before the the words, just to show that we've gone from uh, old traditional .NET framework into this new era uh, that is .NET Core and beyond. Uh, so we we have been talking about dropping the dot, and that would be a cool thing. <laughs> Look, it's going to happen. It's not the future. It's now. It's just it's just a matter of time. I'm gonna I'm someone, gonna bend the universe. To someone this. in at Microsoft in the marketing department will make it happen. 
because they they'll need to do something to justify their their jobs yeah so i i know um, what we need to do we have to put out a lot of blog posts um on the internet saying that the dot has dropped and it's gone now and it's dot net without <laughs> that point uh before yeah. the words and ai will train on that and magically our problems well, will be solved in the future yeah. need, if you use the dot net clr then it's it is dot net all spelled out so yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, let's let's save let's save drop the dot for a future episode. We for can twenty twenty four. Yeah, we can. Uh, yeah, well, I'll argue for dropping it, and then you folks can argue for keeping it, and then yeah. uh, folks can make up their mind. But yeah, um, you know, so let, the one thing. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I will say uh, one thing that I do love about AI is uh, I've seen these where. Uh, teams and zoom listen to an entire meeting mm -hmm. and will take notes for you and basically can like condense everything that was said in the meeting down to kind of what it thinks are the the highlights and and everything and it's it's amazing like mm -hmm. it will even know different voices so it it even knows like who's talking and stuff like that. I, I remember a tech ed where they did some demos years ago uh, for some Azure speech uh, features where, where it could basically transcript everything out and, and transcript and say who said what. And so mm -hmm. I like, now is that AI? Yeah, I think that's, AI also, it's not this LLM, but what we have to remember, AI is, there's lots of different AIs, like mm -hmm. genetic algorithms, um, expert systems. So, so when people say AI, yeah, most of the time today we're thinking large language models, but, but remember AI, there's a whole whole umbrella of different AI technologies that yeah. I think we will leverage more and more in the future. Yeah, I think for me, um, we have some show notes here, but I had put, um, you know, AI has kind of become a marketing catch-all term. Uh, as of right now, there's no actual thing that is artificial intelligence. Like all these give the illusion of intelligence, but there's no real reasoning or logic behind these models. And so right now, AI is being used as a catch-all term for things like large language models, uh, auto-completion, generative AI when it comes to like images, video, text, yep. uh, object and sound recognition, like computer yep. vision is something that also classified under AI, uh, recommendation engines and nat natural language processing, uh, just yep. to name a few things that kind of fit under this umbrella. but. You know, um, I'd be remiss for us to kind of leave this section, though, without actually talking about the training data and potentially like the ethics of how we built these technologies, because these technologies are pretty amazing in terms of their technical feat, but they're also kind of bordering on like IP theft and potentially plagiarism, right? Um, I just saw in the news a sports blog got caught for plagiarizing because the AI that they the AI assistant they were using 
had essentially generated the same paragraph from another post out there mm -hmm. right so like how do you how do you folks feel about like how these models were built it's uh it's, it's a very thin line i would say uh there, there's a couple of other aspects there as well but just to touch on the uh intellectual property and everything um that's a tough one and i i'm i'm not sure which way i lean in a way uh us as humans if we read text on the internet and so on that is also going to influence us in some way at some point like you read a blog you learn something you are going to use that in future conversations or future writings that you make then again is it okay for a big tech company to uh hoover up all of that data build a product and then ask money for all of that but also Back to the other side, uh, there are consultants reading blog posts that people put out for free, learning from that, and also selling their skills. So I'm always leaning towards one end of the spectrum and the other end of the spectrum because I see both sides there. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing that I do think is is kind of disturbing. I'm not sure if you read about this uh, when um, when the articles came out about OpenAI, for example where they would hire people on the cheap in uh, countries mm -hmm. like Nigeria and India and so on um, to review what was going on and actually make the training better and, and, and the model better. That is a good thing for the model, of course, and that's a good thing for the company behind the model. But then again, should we be subjecting people in low-cost areas of the world to filtering out all of the fields that is in the, in the training data? Yeah, mm -hmm. I was about ready to say that I remember some chatbots that uh, this was either right before the pandemic or or during the pandemic when Google and Microsoft and Facebook would release these chatbots that would learn over time based mm -hmm. on the conversations that they would have. And they had to turn them off because most of them became racist yeah. and and very, very bigoted because of probably Yahoo's they're feeding in mm -hmm. like bad content into them. So, and I was gonna, that's why I was gonna bring up all AI. If you, it takes the, whatever biases that, that the data uh, aligns with, it's only, what you have to remember is all this, all these AIs are only as good as the data that you're pumping into it. So if you have biased data pumping into it, um, you're going to get biased results that you may not like, and it may come out in a totally different way that you never anticipated. So that's yeah. the only that's the only kind of thing that from an ethics standpoint, yes, the IP they should they should only use IP that they've licensed or is freely available. But on the other side, they have to take responsibility of of any results, good or bad, that that come out of it based on based on uh those models. Yeah. yeah. But I guess to your to your point, and then we can kind of move on to a different topic. But like, if the date if the models are only as good as the data that goes into them, then the the data is so valuable that 
those folks producing the initial training data set should get some kind of compensation they should or at least get some kind of buy-in right now these models don't really tell you the source of their you know their generated content and i think to me that's still especially when it comes to art styles and generative ai and images i think that's the one that makes me feel the ickiest like i don't think i would ever use those things because for me people train their entire lives to kind of create these art styles and for someone to just kind of steal their essence yeah it, it's kind of weird so well and on the sound interesting side of voices you can there's ai generators that will say hey in the voice of chris woodruff read this <laughs> this like chapter Wait, are, are you saying you are an ai no, I we're gonna we're gonna replace Chris can, for the next can we episode. can we speak robot among each other? Yeah, but no, I mean there are there are AIs that will basically generate content that sounds like a celebrity is is talking about them. So is that IP theft? Well, uh Bruce, well, I have a couple stories about that. Bruce Willis is going through um I guess aphasia uh, yeah. or some sort of dementia. It's really sad. Yeah. I, I love Bruce Willis. It's sad to hear it, but I guess before his uh, turn, he ended up selling his likeness and his voice to essentially a production company. So in the future, you might see Bruce Willis movies that don't have him in it. Additionally, Mark Hamill, uh, for his reprisal in The Mandalorian, he wasn't in The Mandalorian. That was an AI generated a deep fake and his voice was also generated exactly. in the mandalorian um but was he yeah. was he uh given yeah, money he, for i mean yeah, i'm yeah. sure he was given like money for for mm -hmm. that that use yeah. but i'm talking about like people discovering hey there's this like <laughs> youtube video with someone that sounds like me talking about some horrible yeah. stuff. And yeah. I'm, I mean, that is happening. So uh, kids are the worst. Uh, I'll just say that. <laughs> it's like a hot take. Sorry, Martin. I know you have a kid, but uh, kids are the worst. He's, he's the worst. I, I love him, though. But <laughs> No, but kids are now are using deep fake technology to bully their classmates and create deep fakes and stuff like that. So there is a dark side to a lot of this generative stuff. Uh, I know this podcast seemed to have taken a turn into the, the dark yeah. here, but yeah, uh, let, let's, 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 let's move on. Here, let's let's <laughs> change no, the there, course of the boat. So there's there's so, actually one one more thought I want to give okay. uh, in, in this entire AI discussion, and that is the around the training data. Uh, and it's it's a worry that I have. Um, right now, AI is all, or the LLMs are all trained on data that comes from the internet. And uh, as we all know, people are currently using AI to write stuff on the internet. So at some point, the new trading data is going to be written by AI. Mm -hmm. So that brings me to two questions. Uh, first of all, is that going to change the dynamics of the entire intellectual property discussion because the data and the content gets so diluted that the discussion of where does this come from is no longer really valid. 
but second of all, because of that, um, our texts and information that the AI can can work with, are they all going to become kind of boring and, and all the same because it's all coming from the same model over and over again and we're mm -hmm. retraining data based on that same data? Yeah. Well, what you have to remember is AI doesn't have an imagination. Our AI technology today isn't innovative. Mm -hmm. All it can do is take existing knowledge and spit out content based on that existing knowledge that was fed into its model. So, so I think Khalid hit it on the head. I mean, we aren't even scratching AI reaching a, a, a human intelligence. So, so I, I don't think that's going to happen for quite a while. Um, but let's, let's move on to some other ways that uh, we can, that we can work better uh, in our kind of development workflow. So, so let's talk about, you know, the, the COVID pandemic caused us to all go in our houses and be separated from people. And I think people have, have embraced that habit at this point. Uh, we're seeing, less numbers at conferences and sure people are getting out of the house more but i think in our community i think everyone has embraced almost to a fault i feel this this let's just stay behind screens and talk to people so we have all this like remote distributed development uh technologies that are out now <clears throat> Yeah, I thought we were going to steer into the positive thing and then you went straight into COVID, but. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I think it's a good thing. I think it's it's really good that we have the ability to, to, to communicate with people easily. Yeah, so yeah. Like I remember 20, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, <clears throat> I was like a single consultant working at a little startup and when i hit a problem you know how i fixed it i didn't have the internet because it was too expensive uh i didn't have a cell phone or if i did it was a flip phone i used to go down to barnes and noble go into the software development book area and go oh let me look at this book and see if or I would like at the end of work, I would call someone and go, hey, I'm having a problem. You want to meet for a beer or, or dinner and or go to a user group meeting and, and chat with people after the user group meeting to about that. So you mean actual real life people? I know, uh, I know. I know. I always say I still enjoy seeing people in 3D. So so. Meet space and meet space. It's called meet space. But um, no, I think remote development clearly is a big part of the software development workflow future. Um, there's just a lot of styles of remote development right now. So, um, you know, most people are probably familiar with remote desktop tools like 
creating a virtual machine over there, logging into it from over here. Uh, SSH has been around as long as anyone can remember. So that's a big part of remote development. Virtual machines are also a big part. Um, but I think the thing that's really been surprising about the changes maybe currently or upcoming is like dev containers are starting to become like a really, I think will be a really important technology, not just for remote development, but for kind of like onboarding team members and building out teams and quickly accelerating towards solutions. So for folks who don't know what dev containers are, it's a specification built on top of Docker uh, developed by Microsoft that kind of lets you uh, create a recipe for a development environment. And you can put that quote unquote recipe into the repository. And then anyone who pulls down a compatible editor or IDE that can see that dev container can now spin up a complete dev environment uh, within minutes. Uh, and on top of that, if you're using a backend that's using dev containers, you can also take snapshots so you can kind of jump instantly into yeah. uh, environments. So that's kind of great for pushing the envelope in terms of remote development and kind of giving everyone on your team that capability. But Martin, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it goes be even beyond that. Um, I know that in infrastructure world, we have been using Kubernetes and Helm and manifests and, and so on for many years now, infrastructure as code and, and that entire movements. Mm -hmm. Whereas with development environments, we have all clung onto our laptop with our own set of tools, with our own whatever, and uh, some installer files and uh, some, some shared drives with tools that people on the team need. And I do think dev containers is a really good way forward because you can still customize whatever the environment looks like. But if someone new comes on the team or um, you lose your laptop and you have a new laptop and you need to get quickly into coding and working on something or the the it works on my machine scenario, all of those things are now covered by the fact that you can kind of script or at least define what the environment should look like. And you get the dev environments in a, in a, in a reproducible way as well. Yeah, so I'm, it, it's cool technology. Uh, I have been using it on and off a little bit, but also there, just like with AI, uh, dabbling into it mostly. But it's it's promising and it's uh, it's a really cool way forward. Yeah. I think yeah. I think I, I really enjoy that. I haven't done as much as probably you two have, um, just because I'm like uh, I don't, you know, I'm I I like the resources that. I have on my machine and I, uh, I only have so much Ram and sometimes those, <laughs> those dev environments and you keep loading up more and more Docker, uh, images as containers and running those and mm -hmm. you start running out of, uh, memory. So, so, uh, but I do like the idea of, of remoting into a, like, up in the cloud like mm -hmm. i i have tried those type of environments where i i have a cloud container and i remote into it and i have a fast enough uh internet connection to where i don't really experience a lag between mm -hmm. my screen and and where the 
where the actual content is running from. So, so I think that could be the next, I think that's where, where this is going to probably go is more of a cloud dev container mm -hmm. um, that has some ability to, to sync. Maybe it's a, like, if it doesn't have an internet connection that falls back on a local container that's synced with the cloud and, but. Well, you know, but, the nice, the nice thing I think that's kind of developed over the last 20 years is like, you kind of hinted at it. It's like, it works on my machine. Like my environment is set up exactly with the database, the web server, the what everything I need, the, the correct version of my tooling. And it's nice that in the last 20 years, it's like all of that stuff is disposable and built on top of like the concept of the code kind of dictates my development uh, environment. Um, so like, infrastructure as code and dev containers kind of builds on that a little bit but you know to to your point chris it's like you like talking to people and having meaningful conversations i think a lot of these tools are meant to kind of like get rid of the tedium of like setting up your environment yeah. like the stuff that maybe isn't high value when you're meeting with people so it's nice to kind of like codify the low value things in terms of conversation, but high value in terms of team and. Yep. Um, exactly. So, but it kind of leads us to kind of our next future of like future changes of collaborating with people, which is like communication mechanisms. Uh, Chris, you talk about like your flip phone, right? Uh, you text people. Uh, you'd, you'd read a book and not buy it and take 25 cents away from that author. Poor, poor author. <laughs> I'm just or I would buy it just for that one little, one little nugget. Uh, so. Martin, Martin's still, Martin's still getting royalty checks for his NuGet book. Uh, all 10 cents. Everyone away. buy my, purchase my NuGet book. I think, uh, I've done the calculations by 2070. I will be able to buy a beer. royalties. <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we, we've, you know, in the last 10 years, we've all depended on emails, blog posts, written documentation, kind of these like asynchronous communication models. But what would you guys say is like your favorite communication mechanism of kind of the modern workflow? And do you, do you see yourself using any of the future styles of communication uh let's say vr uh so i'll throw it to you guys i i, I kind of like my legs or having <laughs> legs <laughs> hey the meta quest just added legs okay so they are definitely the future at this point so yeah um, i always find it interesting if you go back like 20 25 years and watch all the old tech movies like movies that had vr in them mm -hmm. um i remember michael douglas the the one movie where it was kind of that reverse sexual uh harassment him and demi moore 
but the company itself was building this art of this virtual reality knowledge where it had like an angel for a a helper and Uh it would help you but you take a look at uh what uh uh player one ready player one yeah yeah ready ready player one one. like would that be cool Uh, i i think it would um I think it it would be interesting to to uh, uh, it would allow I think it would allow you to meet more different types of people. Um, yeah, like King Kong, Iron Giant, a Godzilla, like yeah. all types. I mean, of it, it's gonna. I'll be the <laughs> pessimistic one. It, it it's gonna add a lot of problems too. But you know, everything how society changes adds positive and negatives. But I, I, I think that we need to to make meetings better. I know Martin is the is all he does is is my my last meetings. two weeks have been back to back meetings. I, but, I discovered that humans apparently sometimes have to go to the bathroom in between. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. I mean, meetings are. Do I I would prefer an in-person meeting because you get to read body language and and you get to 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 see a person as they're communicating Mm -hmm. um and a lot of times we're in zoom meetings or teams or google chat and people don't even turn their cameras on and that kind of frustrates me that uh yes that i can't see the people that yeah exactly (laughs) but khalid just turned his video off if if anyone who's listening this uh (laughs) but uh but yeah and so where do i i i kind of would like to have something vr-ish not for not for screens having screens in front of me but just having the ability to to uh interact with someone in a in a more intimate uh way mm. i guess not not intimate as in sexually i just mean intimately as as two okay. humans uh meeting in person can have more of a connection yeah, I I figured you didn't mean sexually. That would be really weird in a world that would that would. And that's a whole <laughs> different discussion <laughs> on t- using technology, right? Mm. So, no, it it is fascinating to see. You know, uh, there is a bunch of marketing BS sometimes with you know Meta, Microsoft, uh, Google when they do these like, here's the future we imagine we oh, can kind of yeah. facilitate. There's there's a bunch of infamous videos about what they think the future could be. And it's like I, they always kind of sell it like this yeah. is gonna be next year, folks. Get yeah, ready. I do love <laughs> all those old Microsoft videos where like like the Windows interface was <laughs> everywhere. It was on like desktops and in your mirror in the bathroom, and it yeah. was on the back of the back of the front seat. In, in a taxi and all that stuff but on your uh, on your partner's forehead like yeah. edges everywhere but yeah. um now that's you know. what i truly need <laughs> i truly need uh cameras in my glasses and some ai telling me 
like who I'm talking to because I'm horrible with names. So I would pay an ungodly amount of money to where I could walk up to someone and someone and the AI would go, that is Bob Smith. Yeah. That's just, a good point, Chad. I mean, I think that's now just, <laughs> yeah. but you know, we're, we're kind of running out of time too. We don't want to take this too, yeah. too long. Uh, we want people to enjoy the end of 2023. Uh, what's your closing feelings or closing comments for, for this show? Do you want the serious note or the non-serious note? I don't care. It's it's the uh, end of the year. We can all have a little nonsense and I'll start with the a serious nog, one. Put the eggnog down, buddy. Yeah, it's not it's not that time. All right. <laughs> no, okay. I'll I'll start with a serious one. I think AI is is definitely going to be something that is going to be in all we do in the in the future, at least the coming two or three years, whatever happens in between. Uh, so I do think it's it's important for all of us to dabble with it and see if we can up our prompting game and to to tell the AI what we want from it and delegate some of our work to it. Uh, the non-serious one is that uh, in terms of communication, maybe VR is just an inter intermediate step and the next thing is neural implants and we all just hook into the matrix. Mm, oh my God. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. How about you, Khalid? Well, I'm not I'm not stepping up anytime soon to uh, have a chip put in my brain. So there's my first thought. I think um, <laughs> no, I think augmented reality, like you hinted at, Chris, would be super cool. Like it'd be a cool future. Um, but we've also all seen kind of Minority Report, where there's just like constant ads everywhere plastered directly at you. So maybe. Uh, I've become more dystopian in that sense. Like I think mm -hmm. that's kind of where stuff's going to go. It will. Uh, but to to Martin's point, I do think AI marketing term AI is going to be valuable. I do think as technology improves, a lot of these models, uh, large language models, uh, generative AI, they'll come closer to your devices. They'll no longer need to be run on a remote server. So I think a lot of the privacy concerns that we've seen around AI will kind of become moot in some respect, because uh, I think Apple is even looking at local models and has been applying them to like image uh, optimizations and stuff like that. And so is Google. Um, but uh, yeah, I think AI right now is in a marketing hype cycle, but I do think it'll be valuable. How valuable will it be? I, I think for me, it'll probably be a a notch above maybe what we've been used to with like resharper and writer yeah. in terms of coding. Yeah. Um, but I still think it'll be valuable in its own way. I just don't think it'll be like, I don't think the hype matches yeah. the reality right now. I, I think it'll be, it'll reach a higher, uh, higher positive than blockchain did remember <laughs> that remember that hype cycle i mean it, that's it a very low bar meet, to set it yeah. won't meet the the hype of the mobile like what mobility and mobile mm -hmm. uh computing gave to us so so i i think it's kind of in between there but so that's my closing thought too but we're we're gonna wrap up uh we don't want to take this too much longer uh to everyone Happy New Year, and we hope 
2024 brings all the the your wishes and and great things happen to everyone in our audience and community and i just want to say to to martin and khalid thank you i do appreciate you guys and it's been this year's been great uh doing this podcast with you so so i just want to say thanks yeah thanks chris we really appreciate that it goes in all directions yeah, yeah thank yeah. you chris so remember go down subscribe on youtube if you're watching this on youtube if you're listening to this uh as a podcast as audio subscribe to our podcast we're on all the major uh platforms that you can aggregate all the podcast content um and please go out to our website it's it's broadcast.show is uh, our break, url breakpoint breakpoint broadcast <laughs> breakpoint.show uh, and give us suggestions find us on social media there's lots of ways that you can hit us up as a collective or individually but um but yeah we we need ideas and we would love to get more ideas from you the listener or the watcher um uh, for next year so yeah. with that i'm going to say happy, happy new year. year bye everybody yep. happy new bye. year see you folks